Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste. Salam. Alaikum. Iron sharpens iron. Our friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning into the broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting from the third coast, the coast most, the Gulf Coast of Texas. And I am proud. Definitely privileged to do so. I say proud with a little bit of hesitation today. While I'll always be proud to be from Texas, I can't say I'm proud to I'm proud of the state of Texas and the government and direction Texas is taking. Now I wouldn't even really think about it like I have over the last couple of days. But today is our Halloween special. We'll be getting into that in due time. Now our season. Though you may be listening to this most definitely in the future. Most likely out of sync. Understand our vibes are geared towards the Halloween, Sam Hain, Diodelis Mortis vibes of our favorite season here at the Beyond Top Secret Texan, Halloween. We've already been partying pretty hard for October. We've released a lot of episodes. 28 in 15 days. This will be 29. This is the 29th episode in 15 days. And yes, a lot of them are reposts going through, but there are 29 new releases if you're to listen to for the month of October, and hopefully 29 more to come. Going through the archives, got to find the scariest, the most horror-themed, the most appropriate for this Halloween season. This is an original one, this is a new one. Coming to you from the 2023rd year of our Lord, 2023 AD, October. The subject is Hell in Texas. I don't mean that lightly. I'll be listing 10 hellish experiences that are unquestionably hell on earth that have occurred in Texas. These are the living hells in Texas. be spending five minutes on each subject as I go down. Remember, this is not really a serious list, or this is just a top ten of mine. So happy Halloween, everybody. Use your best imagination. To really get the visceral vibe of the horror. We're trying to get a little bit more 
Alright, appropriate soundtrack, hold on. Alright, that's a little bit more appropriate. I like Transolve, but I mean, the soundtracks go. Sometimes I just press uh, lo-fi beats or Halloween beats or, you know, vibe beats, and it's just ends up being something ridiculously, like, chill, and it's like, basically anything chill, uh, they just call lo-fi beats now, and it's like, it kind of misses the mark, and this is just kind of a, a minute-long, you know, rain about the whole thing. Watching the evolution from vaporwave to lo-fi beats on the internet as type of internet music, right? Internet radio, wordless background music that you could really vibe to and was actually pretty dope and beat has transformed now into basically being either a fill-in for actual like modern jazz music, uh, which is pretty cool and dope in its own part. You know, I use that extensively a lot in, in my own thing, to uh, being like trip-hop, trance-hop, uh, you know, amateur beat makers and shit like that, which is cool. But people will need to learn that, that you know, there's there's a huge, huge variety within that in terms of mood. It's not all for relaxation. It's not all, like, people don't all vibe with the same EDM style, you know, tranquil, trip-hop, trance-hop, you know, they want on-theme type shit. Can't just pat it out, is what I'm saying. This is pretty good. This is pretty dope. Let's get into it. It's rock and roll. Top 10 Hells on Earth in Texas. I guess that'd be Hells in Texas. Uh, number 10, uh, being born in Texas. This is kind of a, you know, just to break the ice. It's a very serious subject matter. What we're going to talk about, but this is for the lighthearted Halloween type. Just running down terrible shit and that exploring the macabre and sharing Texas in its truly terrifying um, capacity. Right, but Texas is actually uh, below average when it comes to crime, especially when it comes to states like California or the Pacific Northwest, Northeast, or the Rust Belt. Uh, Texas still has its fair share amount of crime. Uh, for example, in Austin, Texas, a city of 986,000 uh, fine folks, you have 4,000, approximately 4,000 violent crimes. Um, 32 confirmed murders, uh, 534 rapes, 971 aggravated assaults, or, or sorry, uh, armed robberies, uh, aggravated assaults were 2,416, property crimes were 40,000 approximately, burglaries were 4,000, uh, larcenies and thefts were 29,000. And motor vehicle thefts numbered over 3,000. Uh, this is the capital, by the way. And arsons were 103. You know, and that just goes to show uh, across the board uh, that there are huge uh, potentials and capacities for violent crime, uh, property crime. Uh, robbery in all of the major urban areas as, you know, equal to New York City, L.A., 
or Miami, you know, any city that you could pinpoint in America, Texas probably has as rough as uh, neighborhoods, rough as hoods, rough gangs, uh, rough crime areas, uh, you know, violent crime is violent crime, and, and a rape is a rape, murder is a murder. Um, maybe not the number one because we have such a good law and order or whatever, but you know, when it happens to you, it happens to you, right? So being born in Texas, plus we have a pretty high poverty rate, uh, one in 10 or, or maybe one in five are born in poverty or have to deal with it. Right. Although I think those figures are pretty conservative and held low intentionally to give us a better, you know, image of it. Other than that, it's a very difficult area to live in when it comes just to uh, climate and there's a very famous um, folk poem that uh, I found printed up and it's belongs to it's over a hundred years old it's called the devil made Texas it's from EU cooks EU cooks wrote a folk poem called the devil made Texas over a hundred years ago there it is the devil in hell will told you it's chained. In a thousand years he there remained. And he did not complain if he did not groan, but determined he'd start a hell of his own. Where he would torment the souls of men without being chained in a prison pen. So he asked the Lord if he had on hand anything left when he made this land. The Lord said, yes, I had plenty on hand, but I left it down on the Rio Grande. The fact is, oh boy, the stuff is so pure, poor, I cannot use it for hell anymore. But the devil went down and looked at the truck, said, even as a clear gift, I'm stuck. And after examining carefully well, pronounced it even too dry for his hell. So in order to get it off his hands, Lord promised the devil to water the lands, for he had some water that was of no use, was plum carthartic, and smelt like the deuce. So the trade was closed, the deed was given, and the Lord went back to his home in heaven. And the devil had everything he needed to make a good hell, or sure succeeded. He fixed up thorns all over the trees and mixed the sand with a million fleas. Tarantulas scattered all along the roads, put needles on cactuses and horns on all the toads. The rattlesnake bites and the scorpion stings. The mosquito delights with its buzzing wings. The sand burrs prevail and so do the ants. And those who sit down need soles on their pants. The summer heat is 110, too hot for the devil and too hot for his men. The wild boar roams through the black chaparral. Tis a hell of a place, this Texas hell. And that's from a book of his, a poetry called From Hell to Breakfast, which was republished in 1944. Okay. Right, in no particular order, but kind of going up. You know, because we have to kind of like go up to number one. Uh, let's pick uh, the Astroworld Festival. Astroworld Festival by Travis Scott. Uh, the Crowd Crush, what's known as the Tra Astroworld Festival Crowd Crush, November 5th, 2021. 
fatal crowd crush occurred in the first night of the 2021 World Festival, a music event founded by American rapper Travis Scott, held at the NRG Park in Houston, Texas. This is an event that was described as hell on earth, or a massive human sacrifice, and by survivors as the most demonic shit that they could possibly have ever seen. There were reports of up to 100 plus dead bodies during the people who survived that night, although the official death count is only nine people, with the youngest being uh, 12 years old. Sorry, 10 people. 10 people now officially. Uh, And non-fatal injuries being only 25 hospitalized 300 plus with minor injuries helped at the scene. And there were incidences uh, that are clearly visible. I would suggest going and finding as many documentaries about it as possible because they all universally place responsibility, rightfully so, on the hands of Travis Scott and his production team for not only creating the avenue, but intentionally... Um, inciting the crowd crush that occurred due to allowing overstaffing and refusing to halt or to address the situation even after being uh, made completely you know, aware of it by survivors at the time who were shouting, literally shouting uh, while being filmed, while this was all being filmed and live streamed. This happened in 2020. Uh, this happened in 2021. So this was all being filmed and, and live streamed on TikTok and on Facebook Live and on Instagram and shit. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of videos. There's hours and hours of it. It was one of the worst concert disasters. Uh, it was overtly satanic with the imagery and the iconography of the CGI and the fire uh, used for pyrotechnics. Um, Travis Scott you know, filmed and recorded literally having these uh, demonic uh, moments of, of staring off in a trance and, and humming and singing these mantras or these rep- repeated words, um, you know, saying things like, you remember, this is what you're here for, rage, 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 and, and getting people, you know, to continue uh, going basically berserk at this concert. In, in spite of the fact that there was already at this point ambulances being called, um, people having to evacuate, you know, unconscious bodies, dead people uh, being stacked up and, and treated by first responders at the scene. You know, this was all clearly uh, intentional, an intentional human sacrifice as the survivors. Uh, you know, immediately afterwards are filmed and, you know, live stream themselves commenting on and quote unquote, one of the people saying it, this is the most demonic shit that you could possibly have seen. And that he's seen so many dead bodies literally just stacked up, you know, by the dozens. And this was being provoked and and included. And that was absolutely a human sacrifice to collect these souls. So yeah, hell on earth in Texas. Imagine being there. Imagine being... And most of these people are young people. Most of these people are, are kids. His fan base are, are teenagers. Teenagers and young adults. Um, but mostly teenagers. 
And, it, and if you don't know why this is on the list, then you need to look it up because it is absolutely hell on earth what these people had to go through. And a satanic ritual at that. After that, we'll go number eight. Being a victim of a mass shooting. Specifically, the Texas Tower shooting, Texas Sniper shooting. Uh, being at the mercy of a almost satanic, uh, you know, sniper attack that has uh, the ability to reach out and hit people uh, miles away, seemingly from four different directions uh, at the same time, and and hitting with unerring accuracy, killing its targets. You know, from a from a uh, sniper, you're not even able to see. That's how far away he is and concealed. On a day that you never, you were just going to the salon or going to a diner or going to college, you know, going to Luby's, going to whatever situation you're in during these mass shootings, school. Whatever, but yeah, here we go. Um, let's see. List of shootings in Texas. There's a list of shooting in Texas. So we have assassinations of John F. Kennedy, Dallas, 963. Not, this is not all of them, this is just some. You have the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. You have the University of Texas shootings with 18 total victims in 1966. You have the Dangerfield Church shooting in Dangerfield, Texas with five. And that was in 1980, five confirmed victims. Grand Prairie shooting in Grand Prairie, Texas in 1982 with six confirmed shooting uh, victims. Luby's shooting, Killeen, Texas, 1991, 24 confirmed victims. The Waco siege in Axtell, 28 uh, or sorry, 22 uh, victims, uh, most by fire, but some by mass shooting in 1993, uh, including police uh, murder of Selena. That's a famous shooting that happened in Corpus Christi, Texas in 1995 with one victim, but it was an extremely influential victim of Selena. Uh, the, the Tejano Pop Princess. The 90s, so we have Wedgwood ba- Boot, uh, Baptist Church shooting in Fort Worth. In 1999, with eight confirmed victims, we have the 2009 Fort Hood shooting, uh, where the MK Ultra uh, Army psychologist in 2009 shot uh, 14 uh, U.S. Army soldiers as they were, uh, and many others as they were preparing to deploy to Iraq. University of Texas library shooting in Austin in 2010, with one confirmed. And that was firing shots from an AK-47 before killing himself. You have the 2012 College Station shooting. College Station shootout with the police in which three people were confirmed killed. That was when a uh, international student uh, killed uh, his girlfriend and the boy that she had left him for. Um, and then shot at the police in a dorm room and then shot himself. 2014 Fort Hood shootings, and again at Fort Hood. Uh, workplace violence this time between U.S. Army soldiers. Four people will confirm the shot then. 2014 Harris County shooting in Spring, Texas in 2014. Six people were confirmed dead with an, a bout of domestic violence. 
Curtis Cowell sensor attack in Garland with two people, two attackers were the only fatalities. Um, that was when uh, people tried to attack a, I believe, a demonstration. They were tipped off, and then the two were killed by police. The 2015 Waco shootout, so that could have been a lot better. A lot, not better, but a lot worse is what I'm saying, a lot bigger. 2015 Waco shootout, Waco. Uh, that was when a motorcyclist, bikers, bike gangs, uh, got into basically a giant shootout with each other. Uh, shootout stabbing slash a, a massive brawl. Uh, in which it was used of deadly force, large, confused shootout with banditos, Cossacks, and allies of the two main gangs of the banditos and the Cossacks. Nine people were killed during then. 2015 attack on Dallas police. Um, attack on police had killers follow the chase that resulted in the attacker being killed. That was in 2015. 2015 Harris County shooting uh, with eight people being killed in a, uh, about domestic violence. 2016 shooting of Dallas police officers with six confirmed kills and a single attacker ambushed a group of policemen. 2017 Plano shooting with nine after a domestic violence dispute. Sutherland Springs shooting in the church with 27 people confirmed killed. Deadliest mass shooting in Texas history. Deadliest shooting in American place of worship in modern history. 2018 Santa Fe high school shooting in Santa Fe. Uh, Texas, that would be 10 people killed in that high school shooting. 2019 El Paso shooting, a shooting inside a Walmart that claimed 23 lives. The shooter, 21-year-old Patrick Curcius, was arrested by the police with 22 others injured with non-life-threatening injuries, so a shooting of 44 people total. Midland Odessa shooting with 8 people after a spree shooting in Midland Odessa. The West Freeway Church of Christ shooting in 2019 when gunmen opened fire during Sunday morning church services, killing two before being killed by an armed member of the congregation. Rob Elementary School shooting. That was in Volde, Texas, with 22 reported uh, victims of the shootings. Gunman shot uh, his grandmother at home before shooting children and then also himself. 2023 Cleveland, Texas shooting. Cleveland in 2023. Gunman shot his neighbors, killing five people before fleeing into a wooded area before being shot himself. Uh, in 2023, Allen, Texas Outlet Mall shooting, and that was in Allen, Texas, above Dallas. Gunman shot eight people before being shot by his police. So, yeah, huge history. Remember, that's not all of them. That's just the major ones uh, where many, multiple people, mass, mass, you could say it's mass, but multiple people are shot in a completely impulsive spur of the moment, our well-planned-out attack um, by an individual on the on the general public of Texas. And it's extremely terrifying. It's extremely brutal. And uh, it would be living hell. Follow that up. Number seven being executed by the state of Texas. Since 1819, 1,339 people, all but nine of which have been men, have been executed in Texas as of 11th October 2023. And that's by the state of Texas and its criminal justice department. For... The most heinous crimes, or at least the most heinous crimes in its own eyes, murder, capital crimes. Really, it's only murder. 
that, that can justify a death sentence in Texas, I believe. Uh, we no longer kill people for horse theft. But I believe a lot of these numbers had to involve horse theft because in 1819, I know that was a serious, serious crime um, up until the point where horses no longer were deemed valuable enough to steal. But even now, pretty sure horse theft will get you killed if you stole, if stole enough horses in Texas. I kid... It's a state of 25 million people, so most of the death row murders are uh, between killing your wife or, um, you know, killing children. Um, you know, it's pretty fucked up what you have to do to get killed in Texas. But uh, what's fucked up is that there are so many people who do that shit. And, it's, you know, Texas, famously, if two or three or two or more people see you commit a violent crime, you can be sent to a execution expressly. While most states in America are trying to outlaw the death penalty on the grounds that it's barbaric and cruel and unusual punishment, and in many states with the death penalty... Uh, to be executed by the state is typically a multi-decade long process. Texas is putting in an express lane. And you can be killed by the criminal justice department in Texas in as little as 10 years. In as little. I think the average is around 8. Actually only being in jail or prison for about 8 until you're served your execution. In 1819 to 1923, 390 people who were killed by, te by Texas were executed by hanging in the county where the trial took place. In the modern world, since 1950 onward... Or from 1950 to 1959, in the modern world, say the modern pretext of the world, uh, there were 76 executions. In 1960 to 1964, there were 29 executions. Then there was a, a national moratorium on the death penalty. And it began again in 1982 to 1989 with 33 executions. From 1990 to 1999, 166 executions took place. From 2000 to 2009, 248 executions took place. From 2010 to 2019, 120 executions took place. And from 2020 to the present, there have been 17 executions by the death row facilities of the prisons of the state of Texas. And you can look up every single one of their last words on a website if you're in the mood to do so this Halloween. And one can put yourself in their shoes after such a hard and arduous life 
that literally can happen at the flip of a coin in this brutal land of Texas that's literally hell on earth. You have to experience being murdered, either innocent or guilty. Because don't forget, there are innocent men who are executed as well as there are guilty ones. Waiting for the rope, waiting for the electric chair, waiting for the lethal injection, waiting for the firing line. In that cell, that is hell on earth. Okay, number six. Number six. Kind of like it, related to it, but different enough that it warrants its own entry. Being lynched. Being lynched in Texas. That's right. Unlike being killed by the state of Texas in an official execution ordered by a court of law, lynchings are vigilante Killings, vigilante killings spurned on either by acts of injustice or deep community hatreds towards individuals charged with crimes. Uh, typically, the lower caste of society are the victims of being lynched. In America, that is typically racial minorities, uh, overtly, you know, black people. But there have been Hispanics, there have been Italian immigrants uh, in New Orleans. The largest hang or largest lynching that occurred, uh, i.e., the most deadly lynching that happened, the, the one that killed the most people, was in New Orleans, and it was against Italian immigrants who were white-skinned, but they were Italian immigrants. When Italians were, when those people were accused of killing the police sheriff. Uh, during a, a mob violence incident. And they were acquitted due to corruption in the court. And due to the, uh, the fact that, you know, these things happen in these trials. They were basically dragged out of the courthouse by the sheriff's um, posse, his acquaintances, his deputies. And they were in civilian clothes. They hung ten men to death you know, getting their justice because they knew what happened and they just could not, you know, abide by the fact that there was not enough evidence in this, this system that we, we have called the, the courts, you know, and everything that, that dictate guilt. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the same time, many innocent people, just like in prison, just like how there are innocent people in prison, many innocent people are killed with lynching. Lynching is just vigilante murder Typically, beating a person to death, tar and feathering them, mutilating them by cutting off their fingers or genitalia, uh, pulling out teeth. Um, it's really a death by a thousand cuts type system. It's extremely ghastly and brutal, and yet made even worse. Historically, now looking at it from a modern perspective, because of the happiness and the celebration that kind of takes place during a lynching in which it is an act of vigilante justice and a murder of a man, but there are smiling faces. There are oftentimes always children present. There are community efforts. Um, 
ranging in the hundreds of people or even towns worth of populations. There is a lynching in uh, Goliad, Texas, for example, that had literally the mayor and um, the police sheriff attend. And there are photos taken during the lynching as they celebrate the lynching for an, as an act of community justice um, against the corrupt courts. And this was uh, for a black man that was accused of raping a white woman. The court said there wasn't enough evidence. They let the black man go and non-guilty. And then the mayor and the entire town of Goliad killed him. And um, this individual, this 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 lynching, there's still the tree. that They have the tree in memorial. Uh, it's one of the most well-documented and famous, as well as the, one of the largest lynchings in American history. And they did things like, after they killed him, pull out his teeth and then sell the teeth to children <laughs> that, who bought them as souvenirs. This is documented. Um, they not only, they killed him, they lit him on fire. And then, um, at one point, yeah, like they had to, they had to go get chains because the ropes burnt that they were using to hang him. The ropes had burned, and so they, they went and got chains and suspended his body from the tree. So yeah, 600 lynchings have occurred between 1882 and 1945. Um, according to the website Lynchings in Texas or lynchingtexas.org, this is a project by the Sam Houston State University. Website represents an ongoing effort to document, and so by 1882 and 1945, there were 600 reported lynchings that confirmed. Um, so yeah, you can go through this website. The website is lynchingintexas.org. It has a little map uh, with geolocations. You can see that there was 121 lynchings in Brownsville. There was 149 lynchings in Houston and Austin, 139 in Dallas, 51. Um, you know, El Paso, 29. San Antonio 25, uh, and you can click on and read details of each, like the lynching of Abraham Salinas, the lynching of Sam Benny Mitchell, the lynching of Henry Smith, etc., etc., etc. 600 lynchings happened in um, the time between 1882 and 1945. And imagine being uh, both there for the lynching and seeing it play out this celebrated community-sponsored murder with the torches and, and the, the violence and just the, the absolute carnage that's like a macabre, uh, you know, satisfaction of justice or being a victim of it, being a victim and having to stare down in your last moments um, dozens of faces of all ages and all different, you know, genders and people, you know, of the town um, as they're killing you, as they are literally murdering you, violently beating you, strangling you, you know, dragging you behind a horse, um, cutting you, uh, stabbing you. With, with, you know, whatever, uh, just basically murdering you, the shit out of you. <laughs> murdering the shit out of you in the most violent ways possible. And you cannot get away. 
the entire community has turned on you. Um, your last moments will be in complete uh, fear and agony as you are uh, murdered to the to the uh, satisfaction of a crowd. Like it's it's not even the fact that you can die privately during this. It's like you know the entire thing is celebrated and cheered on. Every step of the way. Fucking hell, right? That's hell on earth. Lynchings in Texas. What was that, number six? Yeah, so number five. Number five, let's go ahead and get... um, Yeah, number five, let's go ahead and get one of the natural disasters in. Uh, Galveston Hurricane. 1900 Galveston Hurricane. Hell on Earth doesn't always have to be something that happened to a lot of people. I mean, it happened a lot of times. It can happen, you know, singularly and just be its own episode. Although this did happen multiple times in Texas history where hurricanes did hit and ravage and destroy as well as natural disasters. But this specific incident, 1900 uh, AD Galveston hurricane, is one of the worst storms to ever hit the United States of America probably documented as one of, as the worst hurricane to ever hit in the modern ta- history of the world, uh, specifically the modern history of America, uh, since we've been keeping records. Um, the Galveston hurricane or the great Galveston hurricane, uh, deadliest natural disaster in human history or in United States history of the 1900 storm, uh, left between 6,000 and 12,000 fatalities. The number is often reported over 8,000, no matter what the report is. Most of these deaths occurred in or around Galveston, Texas. Not just, you know, the, the outskirts or anything, but, but actually just hit smashed into Galveston, Texas, which is, if you've ever been to Galveston, a pretty built-up and established community. It's an island community. It's the island community that's connected to Houston. Storm surge inundated the coastline of the island city with 8 to 12 feet of water putting most of the single story houses underwater or removing them from their foundations entirely the storm itself remained the deadly, deadliest Atlantic hurricane on record the storm destroyed 7,000 buildings with 3,636 of them being homes or dwellings. Every single building required to be rebuilt as it suffered great damage. The hurricane left approximately 10,000 people in the city homeless. The population of the city was only 38,000 thousand to begin with so 10,000 were left homeless with reports of up to 12,000 being killed 
So 22,000 casualties out of 38,000 people. The disaster is known as ending the golden era of Galveston and by and large Texas as the hurricane alarmed potential investors who turned to Houston instead. It changed entirely the course of Texas development. Because at that point, Texas coastlines were going to get developed like the East Coast or California. But upon seeing the severity of the storms, investment in real estate was moved inland to Austin, Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio in the future. The damage is estimated to be $1.25 billion today. Fun fact, not only was there so much death and carnage and destruction, afterwards they paid people $5 a day, up to 50, a room and board, room and board, $5 a day uh, to help clear the dead from the city and that were washing up on the beaches and put them in mass graves or burn them in giant funeral pyres. And they would pay them all the whiskey they could drink as well. And this being Texas in the 1900s, that's just, imagine if they, if they did that now. If there was such a great disaster and loss of life that they paid people basically the equivalent of like, you know, a week's worth of pay per day. As well as whatever, I mean, that was, you know, during a time and attitude where they were offering whiskey. That's like saying a city is offering you uh, methamphetamines today or fentanyl or something like that. Like all the painkillers you need just to get through with it, right? You know, just to get by. Like we'll give you all the weed you need, basically. And that's what they said, all the whiskey you could drink. Like, you know, we'll not only give you all this money. Uh, to go out and move fucking corpses of Texans and everything that are bloating and washing up in the surf uh, for miles along the coast. But, you know, it's such ghastly and macabre work that we're going to give you, you know, all your fucking vices and shit like that on the house. Um, they, so it's not only hell having to suffer it, hell having to survive it, or hell having to be killed by it, and the flooding dark ocean water, the storm surge that's rushing through your house and knocking it literally off its foundation. Even if you ran on top of the roof and tried to hide from the highest point, your house would still collapse underneath you and you'd be plunged into the, into the dark ocean water below as it stormed and like swirled around all the debris and shit. Uh, if you're lucky, you would grab onto a tree and be able to hold onto it, and it would not, you know, fail you. But other than that, you'd see your, your family and everything swept away from you and, and wash up later, drowned and dead. And have to fucking, it's like, move them and take their jewelry and shit just so they could have something to remember them by. And a lot of people were were lost, to be honest, because there were so many tourists and there were so many travelers and records. were diff- Like, the whole hotel fucking was taken out, you know, and shit like that. Who knows how many people were actually killed. That's why 12,000 is a high estimate. Um, but a lot of people were identified, if they were identified at all, 
buy their jewelry, buy things like rings, uh, necklaces, uh, wristwatches, because they were found on their corpses. And that's how I know that's a fact, because that's something I've read already, that hurricane victims, especially the ones in Galveston, were found because they didn't have IDs or anything. Nobody carried IDs. No one carried paperwork back then. And even then, you wouldn't have it on you. The storm sort like you're basically nude, washed up with rings on your hand. They'd take the rings off your hand, throw you in a mass grave, and then say, like, anyone recognize these? Yeah, we found them. Lockets, things like that. Earrings. Um, yeah. Fucked up. Imagine having to clean that shit up. Imagine me tossing bodies in fucking massive graves in the beach filled with lye. And just trying to, like, you know, as I dig a wider berth, you just put dozens of human beings, bloated corpses in there, and shovel it on. And then the funeral pyres, you know, you're just burning whoever you can really toss up out there. It's just fucking hell. Fucking living hell in Texas, I'll tell you that. And that was the Galveston 1900 hurricane. Another natural disaster because, fuck it, let's just uh, include the two together, right? Let's just include the two together. Uh, Texas City disaster. The Texas City disaster is a different kind of natural disaster. It's a man-made disaster, yes, but it is a man is natural in it. Um, and if you don't control it, fuck it, it's natural, it's natural right? So, the 1947 Texas City disaster was an industrial accident that occurred on April 16, 1947, in the port of Texas City, Texas, located in Galveston Bay. It was the deadliest industrial accident in U.S. history and one of the largest non nuclear explosions ever recorded. The explosion was triggered by a mid morning fire on board the French registered vessel, the SS Grand Camp, docked at port which detonated a cargo of about 2,300 tons, about 2,100 metric tons of ammonium nitrate. This started a chain reaction of fires and explosions aboard the ships and nearby oil storage facilities. This ultimately killed at least 581 people, including all but one member of Texas City's volunteer fire department. The disaster drew the first class action lawsuit against the United States government on behalf of the 8,485 surviving plaintiffs under the 1946 Federal Tort Claims Act. Fucked up. This is basically... It's it's a non-nuclear weapon uh, at detonation because it's all ammonium nitrate. It's all these industrial supplies, thousands of tons of them. But in effect, it was basically a nuclear bomb going off in a fucking 1948 post-war port city, Texas City, Texas, which is basically as Norman Rockwell slash like Americana as you can get. It's definitely as Texas as probably you'll ever have gotten the 1940s post-war Texas industrial, you know, neighborhood. These are working class men. These are roughnecks. These are men who are longshoremen who are putting food on the table, who are working firefighters, uh, you know, 
just tough guys making a living, living in Texas. The war's already won, so a lot of baby boomers are being born. A lot of people are back home from World War II. A lot of people are it's like, like done with the rationing. You know, America's prosperous. It's, the, it's, it's, it's before all the bad shit's going to start again. It's that little window, right? And what fucking happens? This is this, like so. The (laughs) it's almost unbelievable how much fucking damage this caused, but and it only killing so few people. But that's because when it comes to these refineries, there's so much land and so much area with so few people actually working it. There are cities that are basically self like like, you know they're 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 basically just industrial and they're pipes and and shit like that. There's no reason for anyone to be out there. They're self operating almost automatic, like, they're just there to be infrastructure, but the people on board, of course, you know, move, and, and they work on shadow crews, etc., no one lives in neighborhoods and shit next to refineries, no one lives next to the port in a neighborhood, so, of course, it was less than that, but everyone around there died, literally anyone in the range died, Regardless if they were indoors, outdoors, in a car, it they they it was 100% fatal to be in the blast radius of this fucking Texas City disaster. The Texas City disaster is generally considered the worst industrial accident in U.S. history. Witnesses compare the scene to fairly recent images of the 1943 air raid on Bowery, in which larger devastation after an atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki. Of the dead, 405 were identified and 63 have never been identified. The later remains were placed in a memorial cemetery in the north part of Texas City near Moses Lake. An additional 113 people were classified as missing for no identifiable parts were ever found. This figures include firefighters who were aboard Grand Cap when she exploded. There is some speculation that there were hundreds more killed, but uncounted, including, including visiting seamen, fishermen, undocumented laborers and their families, and an untold number of tourist travelers. More than 800 people were left orphaned or widowed. However, there were also some survivors among people as close as 70 feet from the dock. The victims' bodies were quickly filling the morgue. Several bodies were laid out in local high school gymnasiums for identification by family and friends. More than 5,000 people were injured, with 1,784 admitted to 21 area hospitals. More than 500 homes were destroyed and hundreds were damaged, leaving 2,000 ultimately homeless. The seaport was destroyed and many businesses were flattened or burned. Over 1,100 vehicles were damaged and 362 freight cars were obliterated. The property damage was estimated at 100 million or equivalent to $965 million in 2021. A further $500 million of oil products burned are the equivalent of $4,827,000,000 in 2021. That's the equivalent of $4,827,000,000 worth of oil products were lost. So that's really what matters, right? The oil products. For instance, the explosion was so forceful that a two-short-ton anchor of Grand Camp was hurled 1.62 miles 
2.61 kilometers and found in a 10-foot crater. It was installed at Memorial Park. The other main five-short-ton anchor was hurled one-half miles to the entrance of the Texas City Dyke. Burning wreckage ignited everything within miles, including dozens of oil and chemical tanks that added pollution to the air. The nearby city of Galveston was covered with an oily fog that left deposits on every exposed outdoor surface for days. When the world literally explodes and hell breaks loose. One minute you're there enjoying a day like any fucking other. And then the next fucking the world blows up around you. Everything is enveloped in fire are knocked down completely by the invisible hand of God. And you, if you're unfortunate enough to die, are one of hundreds whose lights are instantly knocked out. And if you're one of to live, or ones of the thousands that need to pick up the pieces of your now broken life, Mourn those that you have lost forever. Realize the extent of the damage done. Seemingly by the wrath and fury of an angry god. In reality, human error. And the dire consequence of capitalism and industry. That marry together in the unholy combination of fire and death. Okay. Number three. Being stuck in a semi-truck and overheating as an immigrant. I don't even know what to call that. Death by human trafficking. I do know that it exists and has happened many times in Texas history. Most recently, with over 50 people, immigrants, being killed, literally being found dead, sweltering in a semi-truck, cooked alive in southwest San Antonio on a farm road outside of Lackland Air Force Base. 46 people in 2022 were found dead. 16 others were found with severe heat stroke 
in the back of a tractor trailer after the coyote they had hired had abandoned the truck while high on meth and paranoid that they would be caught by authorities. This is a type of incident that's becoming a global series of mass deaths known as the big rigs or the big rig deaths of migrants. This was the most recent and working our way back through time. We can also cover that in 2017, eight immigrants were found dead in a, in a boiling hot trailer tractor or tractor trailer at a San Antonio Walmart parking lot. Two others would die in later in hospitals while being treated, as well as many being injured. The driver was caught and sentenced to life in prison. On May 14, 2003, 19 migrants died inside an overheated tractor trailer while they traveled from South Texas to Houston while en route. 19 died of overexposure. Fucking hell. Can you imagine? The absolute desperation and misery of being locked inside a tractor trailer, dark, uncomfortable, completely uncontrollable as your fate lies in the hands of a stranger you have never met who is acting as a human smuggler. And you have put your family's lives in this man's hands. And they abandon you or something fucks up. And now you face the inevitable death by overheating. Literally sweating Yourself to death. Crowded like fucking cattle with your loved ones as well as strangers. Can you imagine the smells as people's bowels fail? As people begin to sweat so profusely they become covered. The entire floor will be covering that, that, that hot, near boiling hot body heat temperature fucking sweat. You couldn't breathe because the air would you there would be no oxygen in the air. Imagine, unlike the quick deaths that we covered, just how fucking shitty this would be. So I put it so high. Because at least the natural disasters 
have some kind of mercy to them and the fact that they are quick. As well as the the others that seem to have some kind of pity to it. This is just cruel and senseless. And absolutely a testament to how desperation provides the back the background for these atrocities and these atrocious macabre events. Literal hells on earth. They could be happening anywhere on any road, any day, but oftentimes always happen around San Antonio, the Texas border, and involve this human trafficking coyote system, either in the back of these trucks or in deserts where they die of thirst, where they're led in death marches across the South Texas plains and deserts, the hills, where many of them die of exposure to the elements, specifically the heat and thirst. That is hell on earth. That is hell in Texas. Now, now I have to reemphasize before reading the last two that there is no way really to measure any of these, and I just kind of included all of them because they're equally bad in my opinion. But if you noticed the little trend goes from terrible situations that you are kind of responsible for to terrible situations you can't control and then from severity to from fast relatively certain deaths to slow uh, prolonged you know tortures as your last moments or the devastations afterwards that you have to survive. So these two, like all of them, could easily be interchanged and exchanged depending on your depending on your preferences or your own personal attitudes towards this. Uh, I have listed them here, not arbitrarily, but but because I feel like there is more sensitivity towards the number one spot on on living hells in Texas. So, drum roll, please. In top two, Comanche tortures in Texas. Going old school, going back to the Texas Republic, Comancheria, and the Comanche Wars, the Texas Rangers, Texas Settlers. There is no way to underestimate, or at least not to to properly express the brutality of Comanche tortures. 
Comanches were the most dominant Native American tribe in Texas. They had their own nation called Comancheria that was basically all of central and northern and western Texas today that was not recognized by Texas but was fought as a nation by the Texas Republican, by the United States Army, the Cavalry, by the Mexican uh, nation of Mexico, by the Spanish. Uh, they raided as far down as Mexico City into the heart of Mexico and attacked Mexico City itself. They enslaved the Apache, the Lipan Apache. They enslaved the Tonkara. They enslaved all other Native American tribes. They were at war, continual war. Comanche is the enemy. It means enemy in um, the Apache language. Comanche means the enemy at all times. Um, their enemy, yeah, the, the, the Comanche's main arch enemy, uh, you know, nemesis were the um, Apaches. Basically, and the Comanches drove the Apache to near extinction. You know, over hundreds of years of warfare. Uh, the Comanches took slaves. The Comanches were considered the greatest horsemen, the greatest warrior horsemen um, to ever live. In fact, the descriptions of the Comanches uh, I always love are that the Comanche looks like a, you know, dirty, unorthodox, clumsy, um, you know, uh, misfit on foot, but on horseback becomes a completely transformed, um, you know, incredible, um, warrior, you know, the finest warrior, the bravest warrior, the most savage warrior, uh, one of the deadliest warriors in human history In human history, Scythian, uh, cavalry, Mongolian cavalry, uh, any cavalry of any empire in history would probably be inferior to a Comanche on horseback. Right? So this was an actual, you know, pretty pretty established thing. But if they kidnapped you, if they took you prisoner, they were going to torture you to fucking death. Almost guaranteed. So torture, mutilation, and brutality in the Comanche history. Right? Um... You know, and just to put as a as as a description, right? Of what it is. The following story is from a book called Comanches: The Destruction of a People by T. R. Ferenbuck. The protracted rape, humiliation, and murder of female captives began on the homeward journey of a battle, leaving a bloody trail behind the war party. This began when the warriors believed they had put enough distance behind them for the security of the band, and they could make a camp and light fires. There was no taboo against tormenting women. This rarely went beyond sexual assault, though American Indians were known to impale women on rough-cut stakes sometimes or cut their heel tendons and leave them in the wilderness behind. Purely sexual sadism seems to have almost no known limit because there was little sexual frustrations to feed it. More often than not, the captive female brought back to camp had more to fear from the jealousy of the normal women of the warriors who heaped abuse and even physical punishment on them for their attentions. If there were male prisoners, the normal practice was to try to bring them back for the pleasures of the women, 
When this was impractical, they were killed on the trail. Since bravery was the supreme virtue among the American Indians, torture was the supreme test of a warrior. The tormentors got the same psychic satisfaction from breaking a victim's spirit while they destroyed his nerves and body as they derived from mutilating the dead. However, because valor was so respected in this war culture, the tortured captive who died bravely gained great honor even in the eyes of his enemies, a nicety most European minds failed to grasp. The victim who was defiant to the last even won a sort of triumph. He made a bad magic for his killers. There is one documented case of a nameless white man on the plains who laughed in the faces of the Namaru captors with complete coolness as they graphically threatened his genitals with fire and steel. Abashed, a war chief ordered him released unharmed as having magic too powerful to challenge. But this was not always the case. Spanish recording descriptions of mass torture on a number of captured Tonkawas is enough to show why the subject of torture always comes to minds of the whites in the American Indian frontiers. In this case, the uh, Comanche warriors stalked out each victim's applied fire to each captive's hands and feet until the nerves had been destroyed in each extremity, then amputated the ruined extremities and began the fire torture again against the sensitive bleeding flesh to cauterize the wounds. All of the victims were scalped alive so that they would know full extent of their degradation. Finally, tiring of their business, the Comanche tore out the Tonkawa's tongues to silence their cries, heaped the writhing victims' scrota and bellies with blazing coals, and the Comanche then went to sleep around the torture-fired victims as they cried to themselves to death. Even worse fates befell the warriors who were brought back to live, or back alive to the Comanche encampments. Here, especially since once the victim's screams established the medicine was broken, the work was left to the women, and most observers reported that the women were far more patient and vicious tormentors than the males. It may have been an exercise of vengeance against their lot in life as second-class citizens in Comanche society, but at any rate, the females destroyed the captives by the most drawn-out and hideous means they could devise. As amusement, they cut off fingers and peeled eyelids. They stretched tongues and charred feet and they invariably devoted fiendish attention to penis and testicle torture, crushing or cutting them off. The torture went on for days, even as long, or so long as the body survived. The thump of drums, the admiring whoops of women, as well as the screams of the captors, would resound night after night, as fresh victims were captured in raids and bands of warriors returned from battles. The returned warriors would dance themselves into exhaustion while their bloody trophies hung drying on scalp poles. Here is an account about a prisoner taking, uh, someone taking a prisoner from the Lost Comanches, the Horse People. The Comanches put this prisoner to work digging a hole, telling him they needed it for a religious ceremony. When the captive, using a knife and his hands, had completed digging a pit about five feet deep, they bound him with a rope, 
placed him in it, filled the hole with the dirt, packed it around his body, and exposed his head. They then scalped him and cut off his ears, nose, lips, and eyelids, leaving him bleeding. They rode away, counting on the sun and insects to finish their work for them. Later, back at their encampment, they told the story to us as an excellent joke, one which gained them a certain celebrity throughout their tribe for the evening. During a war between the Spanish and the Comanches called Los Desastres de la Guerra, 39 mutilated victims were discovered in a Comanche camp. Their genitals had been cut off. The severed head of one was impaled on a tree branch while his arms hung on other branches of the same tree. And one woman was discovered on a battlefield after a battle, cutting off the arms and legs of a naked enemy Spaniard and hanging them from a tree afterwards. One man who was a corpse had his arm lopped off at the shoulder and he was seated on a dead tree. Upon close observation, we saw that a sharpened branch had entered between his buttocks and protruded from his back a little below his neck. This is the kind of war that they would have brought the Spanish and no doubt would have brought the Anglo-Texans who they held in as much prestige as the Apaches and the Osages. Fucking hell. In Texas. That's fucking living hell in Texas to be captured. As a Texas Ranger or cowboy protecting your ranch and your st- your homestead, protecting your family, a settler, traveler, fucking merchant, explorer, serve anything, whatever the fuck, missionary, and you're caught in a battle, you better fight for your fucking life and kill yourself before you get captured because if you got captured... It was sacred practice of these Comanches to fucking torture the shit out of you to death, kill the fuck out of you in terrible and inventive, sadistic ways. And if that wasn't enough, they'd give you to their women who would do so simply out of amusement as they celebrated your capture. is fucked. Now last, the number one spot, being a victim of Dean Coral. 
the Candyman killer. For those that need an introduction, Dean Coral was an American serial killer and sex offender who abducted, raped, tortured, and murdered a minimum of 28 teenage boys and young men between 1970 and 1973 in Houston and Pasadena, Texas. He was aided by two teenage accomplices, David Owen Brooks and Elmer Wayne Henley. The crimes, which became known as the Houston Mass Murders, came to light after Henley fatally shot Carl. Upon discovery, it was considered the worst example of serial murder in United States history. Name the Candyman Killer with 28 confirmed victims. All runaway boys, young teens. Span of crimes officially was from 1970 to 1973. Curl's victims were typically lured with an offer of a party or a lift to one of the various addresses which he resided in 1970 to 1973. They would then either be restrained either by force or deception. One deception method included partying, giving them either date-rape drugs, large amounts of alcohol, or huffing paint and glue until the person passed out. Once the victim was passed out, and by person I mean boy, typically boys, was passed out, they were restrained and were raped, sexually abused, beaten, tortured, and eventually either killed by strangulation or with an execution shot by a 22 caliber pistol. Coral and his accomplices buried 17 other victims in a rented boat shed. Four other victims were buried in a woodland near Lake Sam Rayborn. One victim was buried on a beach in Jefferson County, and at least six victims were buried on a beach on the Boulevard Peninsula. Brooks and Henley confessed to assisting Coral in several abductions and murders. Both sentenced to life imprisonment. Dean Coral was known as the Candyman Killer because his family previously owned and operated a candy factory in Houston, Texas. Specifically in Houston Heights. And he had a reputation for giving away free candy to local children. Imagine being the victims of one of these of this fucking sick homosexual sadistic pervert and a pedophile at that. But yeah, he would uh, graphically speaking, and when he say sexually abused, what does that mean? He means he'd butt fuck these boys against their will as they were handcuffed to two by fours. Uh, with his accomplices as they would punch them in their face and uh, break their ribs, break their fingers, engage in extreme sadism, twist their legs out of joint, 
um, break their ankles, for example, and or you know have them restrained in a way that they couldn't uh, properly uh, fight back at all. You know, suffocate them, choke them out until they passed out, and keep doing that, reviving them. Um, you know, masturbate on them, ejaculate on them, use sex toys on them, uh, foreign objects, you know, uh, they would specifically take glass tubes that were decorative at the time and insert them into their urethras, the boys' urethras in their, in their penises, and then smash the glass tubes with hammers. And, uh, this would, of course, impale the penis with broken glass from the inside from their penis hole. Uh, this was done multiple times. It's kind of a coup de grace at the very end. Of course, you know, they would become more sexually abusive and, and destructive to the body itself, uh, ritualistically and sadistically, all connected to sex. Um, you know, beyond just, you know, butt-fucking a, a little boy to death. It was an extremely uh, drawn-out and ritualistic process, very detailed, very elaborate. And happened to 28 victims minimum. Most victims were abducted from Houston Heights, which is then a low-income neighborhood northwest of downtown Houston. These were assisted by his teenage accomplices who typically found the boys who were runaways, telling them that they had a place to party a place for them to stay. They were often friends, our accomplices, of either Coral or individuals whom Coral had himself become acquainted to prior to their abductions and murder, such as former employees of the Coral Candy Company, such as the two victims, Billy Balch and Gregory Malley Winkle. At Coral's residence, youths would be plied with alcohol and other drugs until they passed out, tricked into Donnie handcuffs, or have them simply grabbed by force. They were then stripped naked and tied to either Coral's bed or usually a plywood torture board that was regularly hung on a wall. Once manacled, the victims would be sexually assaulted, beaten, tortured, and sometimes even after several days, killed by strangulation or shooting with a 22 caliber pistol. The bodies were then tied to plastic sheeting and buried in one of four places. In several instances, Coral forced his victims to either phone or write to their parents with explanations for their absences in an effort to allay the parents' fears for their son's safety. He is also known to have retained keepsakes, usually keys, from his victims. Imagine being a victim of this fucking piece of shit. You know, wherever you were, broken home, wherever the fuck you brought you to the intersect pass of this fucking creep. You didn't deserve that. And I don't think anyone did. And listening to this fucking shit, you know, you see it. And I don't want to go through all of it, but, uh, you know, it's pretty fucking brutal just to, just to read it. And I can give you some some examples of the 28. Not going to read all of them, of course. Um, 
you know, but it, and this is just what's estimated, just what's estimated. You know, we we'll never really truly know because the secrets died with Dean Coral. We do know that each victim was absolutely tortured and 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 in ways that's living hell. It's absolutely fucking hell on earth in Texas. We all know this fucking happened in Texas. And this is why I think even after everything, the fact that this happened to children, um, you could say that they were they were runaways, they were, you know, drug users, they were partiers, even at that young age, homosexual children, whatever. Exactly. You can't fucking blame victims in the shit. They were they were killed by a sadistic psychosexual pedo pervert. Um, who was an elite member of uh, Texas society, um, and it's all part of this Epstein Island fucking t- right, fucking pedo satanic fucking human sacrifice shit, right? Nasty reptilian fucking shit. That's definitely hell on earth, and that's my number one, my pick for number one spot. Let me give you just a list to kind of put you in the mindset if you were one of these victims, what you'd be going through and how old you'd be get as you went through it. I'll imagine you at yourself at this age, right? And you could easily have been any one of these victims if you're listening to this at this point in time. Jeffrey Allen Conan, age 18, a student at the University of Texas at Austin, abducted while hitchhiking from Austin to Bresward Palace, District of Houston. He was buried at High Island Beach. James Eugene Glass, Age 14, an acquaintance of Coral who also knew Brooks. Glass was last seen by his brother in the company of Danny Yates walking toward the exit of a church the trio had attended. He was strangled with a cord and buried inside the boat shed. Danny Michael Yates, 14, lured from his friend James Glass from a Heights Evangelical rally by Brooks to Coral's Yorktown apartment. He and his friend were strangled before being buried in a common grave in Coral's boat shed. Donald Wayne Waldrop, age 15, vanished his way to visit a friend to discuss former a bowling league. Brooks claimed Donald's father, who was a builder, was working on the apartment next to Coral's at the time that Donald and his brother were murdered. Jerry Lynn Waldrop, age 13, the youngest of Coral's victims. He and his brother were strangled the day after their abduction and buried in a common grave inside Coral's boat shed. Randall Lee Harvey, 15, disappeared on his way home from a job at a gas station attendant. He was shot in the head and buried in Coral's boat shed. David William Hilgis, 13, one of Henley's earliest childhood friends. Hilgis was last seen in the company of his friend Gregory Miley Winkle, walking to a local swimming pool before climbing into a white van. Gregory Malley Winkle, 16, former employee of Coral Candy Company and boyfriend of Randall Harvey's sister. Winkle last phoned his mother claiming he and Hilligast were swimming in Freeport. His body was found in the boat shed with the cord used to strangle him knotted around his neck. Reuben Wilford Watson Haney, 17, left his home to visit the cinema on the afternoon of August 17th. Haney later called his mother to tell her he was spending the evening with Brooks. He was gagged, strangled, and buried in Carl's boat shed. Frank Anthony Aguar, 18. Aguar had been engaged to marry Rhonda Williams, whose presence in Carl's house would later spark the fatal confrontation between Henley and Carl. He was strangled and buried at High Island Beach. 
Mark Stephen Scott, 17, a friend of both Henley and Brooks, who was killed at Carl Schuler's street address. He was forced to write a letter to his parents claiming that he had found a job in Austin and ran away from home. John Ray Delome, 16, a Heights youth who was last seen with his friend walking to a local store. Billie Jean Boltz, Jr., 17, a former employee at Coral Candy Company. Boltz was forced to write a letter to his parents claiming and Delome had found work in Madisonville. Stephen Kent Sickman, 17. Sickman was the last seen a living a party held in the Heights. Roy Eugene Bunton, 19. Disappeared on his way to work at a shoe store. Whaley J. Semino, 14. Lured with his friend into Brooks Corvette on the night of October 2nd. Richard Edward Hembry, 13. Last seen alongside his friend in a vehicle parked outside a Heights grocery store. He was shot in the mouth and strangled at Coral's Westcott Towers address. William Carmen Branch Jr., age 18, the son of a Houston Police Department officer who subsequently died of a heart attack in the search for his son. Branch was castrated before he was shot in the head and buried in the boat shed. November 15th, Richard Allen Kepner, age 19, Finished on his way, or vanished on his way to call his fiance on a payphone. Joseph Allen Lyles, 17, an acquaintance of Coral, that according to Brooks, Lyles was grabbed by Coral at his well-wrote address. William Ray Lawrence, 15, a friend of Henley who phoned his father to ask if he could go fishing with some friends. He was kept alive by Coral for three days in captivity before he was strangled with a cord and buried at Lake Sam Rayborn. Raymond Stanley Blackburn, age 20, a married man from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He vanished while hitchhiking from the heights to see his newborn child. Blackburn had arrived in Houston three months before his abduction to work on a construction project. Homer Lewis Garcia, age 15, met Henley while both boys were enrolled in a Bel Air driving school. He was shot in the head and chest and left a bleeding to death in a bathtub. John Manning Sellers, age 17, an Orange County youth killed two days before his 18th birthday. He was killed with four gunshots to the chest. He was the only victim to be buried fully clothed. Michael Anthony Bulch, 15. Carl had killed his older brother, Billy, the previous year. He was strangled and buried at Lake Sam Reborn. Remains identified later in 2010. Marty Ray Jones, 18. Jones was last seen among his friend and roommate, Charles Cobalt, walking around the 27th Street in the company of Henley. He was strangled with a Venetian blind cord. Charles Carey Colby, age 17, a school friend of Henley whose wife was pregnant at the time of his murder. 
Kobe's last phoned his father in a state of hysteria, claiming he and Jones had been kidnapped by drug dealers. His body was shot twice in the head and was found in a boat shed. James Stinton Dromula, age 13, the son of Seventh-day Adventists, Dromula was last seen riding his bike in Pasadena, Texas. His last called his parents to tell them that he was at a party across town. He was strangled and buried in a boat shed. course there are expected to be more but know that all those people had the same fate sexual abuse forced sodomy humiliation degradation actual beatings um, pain sadistically inflicted in various ways strangulation um, imprisonment you know, an eventual execution, termination, murder. And I think that's all because these these young men happened just to cross paths with this fucking sadistic psychopath and his fucking henchmen. Because that's what they basically were as they made snuff films and uh, did so by kidnapping... Um, disadvantaged and and ultimately innocent young men so that they could rape and kill them and that is that is absolutely fucking hell on earth that is all of it all of that fucking shit and the fact that it happened in Texas it's just hell in Texas So yeah, that's 10, 10 moments of hell on Texas, hell in Texas, uh, that either participating in or, or having to suffer through would qualify you as having experienced absolute living hell on earth. And like I said, it's not, it's not a solid, hard top 10. It's not supposed to be just in the holiday spirit, holiday vibe. Thank you all very much for listening to me. Namaste and salam. Make them. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for following, liking, subscribing. Thank you for donating. Those who have donated, thank you very much. You've gone the extra mile. Sincerely appreciate it. You guys have no idea how much I do. We absolutely need it to survive. We absolutely need your contributions moving forward. Uh, even if it's a dollar or just two dollars or three dollars or whatever, do it cash app, dollar sign beyond top secret tech, text on the cash app. Twitter, for example, the cash app icon is right there next to the name. When you follow it, it'll become right there. You know how it all works. Uh, you can also donate through PayPal and you can, you know, uh, ask me otherwise. I'll send you a link to that cash app link um, if you, if you know, really need it. It's all there. It's all available through Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. It's all available there through Twitter at Top Secret Texan. And, of course, um, the Spotify account and everything available for membership. 
get access to about a hundred exclusive episodes, all interviews and stuff from my and, and collaborations and and uh, you know swap casting and stuff from my earliest days. Um, but it's all there for you guys to listen to as uh, members. It's all exclusive to you guys. But just listening to the episodes, sharing them, getting the word out, that means the world to me. We only grow word of mouth and by you guys' support, listening to each episode, listening again and again, returning back to it. That's our bread and butter. That's our lifeblood. That's where we're getting the audience. We're getting the traffic is people going through the archives, listen to old episodes, listen to episodes they might have missed, listen to episodes they love, you know, repeat everything. So thank you all very much. Uh, stick around, you know. You can listen to our uh, to my podcast. You can listen to the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. Uh, straight, you know, new episodes for 33 plus days. That's absolutely true. You can listen to it for well over a month. That's how much content I've already created. Uh, so go check out those archives. You know, you pr- chances are you you know might have missed something. You might have missed something that's extremely interesting. That's extremely vital. But um, t- stick around. I'm going to be updating, updating and uploading new episodes, you know, every day. Oh, coming through this October month, basically. Either through the old episodes, fixed up, edited, you know, improved, released again, or um, new episodes, entirely new original episodes for Halloween. Thank you all very much. Stick around for this. It's been Living Hell in Texas. Thank you all very much. Peace out.